Thank you very much. One of my favorite introductions ever now. And uh, happy Father's Day to all the men. Happy Father's Day to our Father in Heaven. I, uh, I see we celebrated Father's Day um, by bringing back a worship song from when God the Father was creating the earth. You know, Genesis tells us, God said, let there be light. And I think the next scripture says, let there be a song called, Lord, you are good. And the next one is, let there be a dance attached to it. See, I thought I'd been following God for a while, but I, I didn't know there was a dance. So I learned something new in church today. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about this. No, but thank you all for being here. Uh, we honor the fathers. You know, my prayer for all of us fathers in the room today is that we would be able to love our families well enough to give them a glimpse of the father's love for them. And the problem with a prayer like that and a standard that high is that we're going to fail. <laughs> I share that knowing that I fail. However, Proverbs tells us that though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. So let's try to love our families like God loves them. And when we fail, let's try again. Let's try again. We've been in a series called The Holy Spirit. And uh, when I think about the way God walks with us, it makes me think of some of the awesome dad moments that I've had recently. I got this cool girl dad shirt from my girls for Father's Day. And... Uh, I got to celebrate the birth of my second child a few months ago. She's actually three months today? Today. Yeah, something like that. I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> uh, Allie's fourth birthday was yesterday. We celebrated by staying up late together last night because she had a nosebleed at 4 in the morning. No, no, no. The nosebleed was at 4.45. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quality time together. But some of the fun times included uh, learning to ride a bike. We taught her how to ride her bike recently. So it's cool and all, but when we put her on the bike and we tell her what to, what to do, so like, Ali, push with your legs. Push forward and down. Stop going backwards. You're going to roll down the driveway. Like, she'd hear these words, but she didn't really understand what they meant. And we had to push her from behind and she had to experience those feelings for herself. And then I would push one leg at a time. And then I would repeat what I told her. Push with your legs. Forward and down. Excuse me. And eventually, she started to understand a little more, then a little more, then a little more. Then it clicked. And she started to do it. And she started to ride around in circles. And she started to have fun. And now she's starting to go a little too fast for my liking. But I think that's a little bit like what fatherhood is. Right, she didn't understand, and then she came to an understanding, and it made all the difference. But sometimes I feel like our relationship with God is very similar to that. Because we'll hear something said in church, or we'll read something in the Word, and we'll see it, we'll hear it, but we don't exactly understand what that means. And I think one of those phrases is walk by the Spirit. Which is why the title of the sermon is, Walk by the Spirit? What, what does it mean? And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's our goal, to learn how to walk by the Spirit. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, we thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts to see your word. Teach us in a way that only you can. God the Spirit, I pray that you would help us as you've been sent to do. 
learn and interpret your word in such a way that it changes our lives. Teach us what it means to walk with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're meant to walk by the Spirit. And this phrase comes from the book of Galatians. Uh, this probably was the Apostle Paul's first ever book. It was the first letter he wrote. And it was written in the early days of the church, and in particular, the Gentile church. So because the Gentile church and Gentiles are non-Jews, if you are not a Jew, raise your hand. Oh, well, shalom to the rest of you. Most of us are not Jews. We are Gentiles. This is a Gentile church, although we'd welcome Jewish people. We'd love to have you here. And this is kind of like our forefathers in the faith. So these people are coming in, and they need to learn about God, and a lot of foundational truths are going to be laid down and taught for the very first time. And toward the end of the letter to the Galatian, Galatia was a province, it wasn't a city, it included Lystra and Iconium and Derby. these cities are in the book of Acts. But toward the end of the book, uh, Paul begins to address one of these fundamental foundational truths about what it means to be a Christian. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. A lot of us have heard this scripture before, right? Or you might have heard those words, walk by the Spirit, but what does it mean? Nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. Gets the people going. Look, what does it mean? Does, does it refer to proximity? When I'm walking with Allie in the parking lot of her school or at Target, and I say, Allie, walk by me, I'm saying stay close to me and stay far away from the cars. I'm saying hold my hand. I'm referring to proximity. So does walk by the Spirit refer to proximity to God, feeling his presence, walking with him? Is that what it means? Or does it mean allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us? Got to confess to something. I don't know if it's a proper format, but I confess that I have asked God, the Holy Spirit, to tell me which way to turn in a parking lot to find the best parking spot. Oh, Holy Spirit, should I go right or left? It's like God speaks to you. You should stop treating me like a genie. I'm expecting him to be Obi-Wan in Star Wars. Use the force, Luke. But does it refer to guidance? Does it refer to being a witness? What does God mean? It's important for us to ask that question. Because instead of coming to this phrase that we've probably heard before and bringing our ideas to it, we want God to teach us. That's the difference, by the way, between something called eisegesis and exegesis. Brief side note, eisegesis, fancy church word, it just means when you bring your ideas or your preconceived notions, your established beliefs to the word of God, and you pick pieces of the word of God and allow those pieces to justify your opinion. I think a lot of times we come to God's word looking for it to justify what we want him to justify. It's not really how to read the Bible, though, because it's not God's word anymore. The other hand, exegesis is what we strive for. It's coming to the word of God with an open heart and an open mind and allowing God to speak to us. And that's what we want to do this morning. And one of the ways we do that is by taking a close look at the scripture. So when we look at the scripture in Galatians 5.16 that says, walk by the Spirit, we see something interesting in Greek. Because walk is actually a compound word. It's not just walk, it's walk around. 
the passage is telling us to walk around something. And it's like a boundary is being created in this passage. And that means walking by the Spirit is inside the boundary, and walking without the Holy Spirit is somewhere outside the boundary. So in order to understand what God really wants us to, by the phrase, walk by the Spirit, we also need to understand what it means to walk without the Spirit. Now, how do we get there? In this passage, there is a signpost to point us in the right direction. And it starts with the word, but. Has anybody been playing the soundtrack from Encanto in their house recently? I can't turn it off. Like, that word, but, instantly triggers, it was our wedding day. It was from the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Go ahead and podcast that on your own time or Spotify, something like that. The scripture says, but I say. Walk by the Spirit. And what the word but does is connects this passage to the thoughts that came before it and set it up as a contrast. So now we know there's something outside the boundary that's opposite. And here's what it is. We need to renounce self-righteousness. In particular, we need to renounce our own self-righteousness. Now I can tell a lot of us are familiar with this phrase because it instantly got tense. It starts to hurt in the church. Don't let it hurt in the church. And if you're not familiar with the phrase self-righteousness, don't worry, we'll break it down in just a little bit. But one of the primary reasons the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians in the first place was to address a self-righteous sin. Background info. So, remember that the church is new, and in particular, Gentile believers are new. There were some in the Old Testament. There were provisions for that, for conversion. But at this point, when Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, there are about as many Gentile believers as there are Hebrew believers, which raised a very important question. How were the new Gentile believers supposed to relate to the old Hebraic law? And in response to this question, a sect of people called the Judaizers arose. And the Judaizers essentially taught that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And, the word and is important, and by our good works, and by our obedience to the law. This means that these new Gentile believers are saved by Jesus and also by obedience to the law of Moses, the entire Old Testament and these 600-plus laws that it contains. One of those laws was especially pressing to Gentile men, and it was the law regarding circumcision. Now, I don't think I need to explain circumcision. If you want to know, go talk to your parents. <laughs> but according to the Judaizers, Gentile men needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, for good reason, most of these men balked, but some of them immediately gravitated toward the words of the Judaizers and began to repeat it. And Paul addresses it, and he sees through their motives. So let's see one thing Paul says in response. Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Here's where he gets intense. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. 
Now, on the surface, it looks like these men are very dedicated and passionate about following Jesus. But Paul sees through that, and he sees into their motives. Their beliefs betrayed them. Because if we say that we are saved by Jesus and our good works, salvation equals the work of Christ plus our work, then we're also saying that Jesus did not do enough by himself. And in order to be saved, we have to help him. God needs my help. I will help God save me. Good luck. But that's exactly what they believed. And they wanted to believe that. Many times, our theology or what we believe about God wraps itself around the shape of our souls. And the shape of their souls was self-righteous. They wanted God to save them and... They wanted to save themselves. So Paul is addressing their self-righteous desire to justify themselves, to make themselves right before God based on their own goodness, based on their own beliefs, based on their own best efforts. That's what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is an arrogance or a conceit that comes forward based on our own goodness, the good that we are, the good that we do, the good that we believe. And what self-righteousness does is it elevates self, hence the self and self-righteousness, and as a consequence, it inevitably looks down on the work of God and the work of others. Self-righteousness leads us in the opposite direction of the great commandments to love God and to love other people. There is nothing good about self-righteousness, but it's easy to be fooled by it because it wraps itself up in good things. Self-righteousness is like rat poison wrapped up in a piece of cheese waiting for someone to bite it. It deceives, then it kills. And self-righteousness can even wrap itself up in the practice of religion. Relationship doesn't allow for self-righteousness. When we prioritize love for God, love for others, there's very little space for self-righteousness to creep its way in. But the empty practice of religion can allow for self-righteousness. For example, we can be self-righteous about our preferences. We can say to ourselves, well, I like worship a certain way. I like when Pastor Roland leads the boys out of retirement and worship is just amazing. I like it too. It, it is amazing. Like I heard BTS announce a hiatus. Guess who came to save the day? Pastor Roland Gray. We got bars out here. So we like a style of worship and we start to really gravitate toward it, but without realizing it, we're starting to look down on other styles of worship. I remember being in a Chinese church once. I was looking for ministry partnership. And everyone was singing out of a hymn book. And the hymn book was in Chinese. And I had nothing to add. Except my tears. Because the worship of God was so genuine. 
And I couldn't help but be moved. Because though my lips couldn't sing with them, our hearts were singing the same song. How could we allow our preferences in worship to get, take God's glory from him? We can be preferential about other things too, our, our, our style of worship or our denominations or our speakers. I listen to Craig Rochelle. He helps me be a man, strong in the Lord. Craig Rochelle's a buff guy. Well, I like Stephen Furtick. And some people in the middle are just like, well, this is my Bible. I am what it's, it's Joel Osteen. We can be self-righteous about these things. We can be self-righteous about our service for God, too. We can say to ourselves, well, I do that better than they do. And by the way, I'm not making that up. I used to say that. Maybe unknowingly I say it sometimes, too. I can do that better than them. Why am I not getting those opportunities? Why don't I get that attention? Why don't I get that glory? Because it's God's. Because it's God's. What about, I, I do more than them. I, I do this and I do that. And doing things for God is good. But doing things for God with a bad heart is bad. God wants our hearts. Then he can take our hands. Let's not be self-righteous about our service for God. Let's allow God to make us righteous and just do things out of sacrifice and surrender. And we can even be self-righteous about our beliefs. And I remember definitely when I was younger in the faith and new as a minister, being self-righteous in my conversations with people. Where I'd be on a mission trip or on the campus that I served on or even across a table with somebody I know and having conversations about faith in Jesus and how Christ alone is the only way which is true it's true and somehow when I debated them and answered all their questions and asked them questions that they couldn't answer it didn't end with salvation at the end why because I had a lot to say about Jesus and I didn't sound like him at all Because being right with a wrong heart isn't helpful. And it makes no use to win arguments and lose people. But I was self-righteous about my beliefs. Even though my belief was correct. That Jesus Christ is God the Son. The co-creator. Eternally existent. The word became flesh. Walked the earth. Lived a perfect life on our behalf which we all failed to do. Went to the cross to die in our place substituting himself for us, rising again three days later to offer his righteousness to us and give us an opportunity for forgiveness and relationship with God and eternal life forever. It's all true. Heart was wrong because I was self-righteous. By the grace of God, I'm able to continue in ministry today in spite of me. We can be self-righteous about things. We need to watch the posture of our hearts. You know, no one had more rights to be self-righteous than Jesus himself. He did live a perfect life. He was kind of God. And yet Philippians chapter 2 tells us he did not consider his equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. 
but instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. If Jesus, with all of his rights, can empty himself and die in our place, then what should we as Christians, imitators of Christ, then do? We must renounce self-righteousness. We need to reject it and abandon it. It has no place in our lives as believers. So now we've got a boundary. We've got a boundary where we walk by the Spirit. And we've got a boundary where we are self-righteous, and that's not walking by the Spirit. But there's another side. There's another side to that scripture. So let's read it. The second half of Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Boundaries. Let's revisit. Walk by the Spirit. Self-righteous, not walking by the Spirit, and the desires of the flesh. We need to reject rebellion. We need to reject the temptation and opportunity to rebel against God. Let's keep reading the passage. Galatians 5.17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Holy Spirit leads our desires, our passions, the things we long for and crave for in one direction, and the desires of our flesh lead it in the other direction. Now, flesh, it's another Christianese word. Uh, what, what is this referring to? No, flesh refers to the inherent sin nature that's passed down throughout humanity. Ever since the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They rejected every good thing that God gave them. The ability to provide for every need, relationship with God, walking with him. They rejected that for a fruit. Congratulations. Thank you for making the world we live in. And ever since that happened, this desire for sin, the desire to rebel against God has been passed down throughout the generations until it reached us. So now, my four-year-old daughter, Allie, is old enough to ride a bike and do bad things without being taught. I didn't teach her how to lie. I don't think Jerrica taught her how to lie. Mom, <laughs> we didn't teach her how to lie. She learned it by herself. Sin, nature, flesh. That's what the flesh is. So these desires of the flesh tell us to do something to lead us away from God. Now, if you continue on in the passage, um, it, it might be in the notes, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. I think I put it there. There's this long list of things. <clears throat> Just read the list and find yourself. We can all find ourselves. But there's a range here. And this range goes from things like sexual immorality and sorcery and hairy Never mind. <laughs> and uh, to strife and envy. And what we need to understand about this is that whether our sins are big or whether our rebellious sins are small, they're all telling us the same lie. All of these rebellious sins that tell us to run from God tell us that there is greater joy, satisfaction, and pleasure away from God's presence than there is in God's presence. 
That's what they tell us. That's what this rebellious sin wants us to believe. So when we read that, read that list in Galatians, we read something like strife. Here's what it's telling us. It's saying strife can satisfy us. Well, I'm right, and they're wrong. And now we got beef like a cheeseburger. And I'm going to record a diss track like it's a rap battle. At the very least, I'm going to talk about them every time I get the chance. Because I love the feeling of being right and being opposed to someone who's wrong. And when we allow ourselves to persist in this, we've decided that strife feels better than forgiveness. And resentment becomes the background soundtrack to our lives as we walk further and further and further from God. Is there anything behind me? Oh, good thing I stopped. It's the Holy Spirit. Stop, son. <laughs> envy. What about envy? Small sin, right? We're allowing envy to convince us that the desire for something and the mental gymnastics of convincing ourselves that we deserve those things just as much, if not more, than those other people that feels good to us somehow. And so we revel in it and we allow that envy to persist. And when we've allowed it to persist long enough, essentially what we've decided is that being envious feels better than finding contentment in God. We can have this conversation with every single item listed here. Every single kind of rebellious sin wants us to believe that we're better off away from God's presence than we are in God's presence. That we'll somehow be happier there. That we'll somehow find greater joy or satisfaction or peace or pleasure there. It's not true. And we know it's not true. And yet we keep going back to it. I think one of the reasons is that it's just a lot easier. It's easier because it's faster. Any, uh, any fans of cup noodles here? Instant ramen, yeah. And let the people say amen in the church. Well... Instant ramen's great. I lived off cup noodles in college. It might be one reason why my blood pressure was borderline. But it's so easy. You either fill the water to the line, you put it in the microwave for three minutes, you use the fork, you stick it right there to keep the flap down, and you let it heat up for three minutes, then you enjoy the satisfaction of your labor. And it's tasty. It's just not good for you. It's not good for us. It's just easy. Now, instant ramen is not as good as real ramen. Real ramen made with fresh ingredients, cooked for hours, maybe even a day. The real ingredients assembled and created from scratch separately. Noodles and broth and dashi. That stuff's incredible. But who wants to put in that work? If only they were side by side and they were just as easy. We would choose the real ramen every single time. But it's harder. 
and it takes longer. But it's better for us, and it tastes better. So let's choose what's better, what God has for us, the love, the call, his presence, it's better. So even if it's easier and faster to find relief or satisfaction away from God's presence, let's not choose what's easier, let's choose what's better. Let's return now to this image that the word of God is creating for us walking by the spirits in the middle. And on either side of it, we have self-righteous sin, and the other side, we have rebellious sin. It's almost like three roads, all moving in one direction, parallel to each other. Now, we have one-way streets here in Vegas. I think we have some pictures. One way. There's one. Uh, This is 4th Street, I think, in downtown. And portions of the streets in downtown Las Vegas only move in one direction. (coughs) So every car, every parking spot, it's all oriented in that one direction while it moves that way. And I felt like there was an even better example where I'm from. I I got a map here, courtesy of Google Maps. Anybody recognize some of these names? Uh, So what we have here is South King Street, Baratania, and Kinao Street. Now, these are on the island of Oahu. These are actually three of the busiest roads on Oahu. Um, Fun fact, I think when you hear about an island and if you haven't been there, it's hard to conceive of how busy things are. Um, I saw a recent article published by the Civil Beat that said Oahu had recently passed 900,000 registered vehicles. Registered vehicles. (laughs) I registered my vehicles. Anyway, that's about as many people as there are on the island. One car for every person, and not every person can drive. What are we doing? That's how busy these streets are. And if you look, you see the arrows here. King Street moves to the right. And if you look at the top, Kinao Street moves to the right. Those are like self-righteous road and rebel road. They move to the right, away from God. God is... God is here. And rebellion and religion lead us away from God. This empty practice of religion, self-righteous religion. They lead us away from him. But the road in the middle, Spirit Street, it leads us toward God. And that's where we belong. We need to walk by the Spirit. Because walking by the Spirit leads us on a path of life. Now, walking by the Spirit refers to the direction of our lives and the steps that we're taking to get there. It's getting closer to God and becoming more like Him by choosing to seek Him more and more each day. And along the way, we experience more of His presence. We get proximity to God. And along the way, we experience His guidance. And along the way, we are empowered to be witnesses for Him as we walk by the Spirit, as the direction of our lives is oriented around our pursuit of God. And in the way that the flow of traffic and the parking spaces, it's all fixed in one direction. We allow our lives to move toward God and make it so that everything we do helps us honor Him and helps us get a little bit closer to Him. 
that, in the context of this passage, that is what walking by the Spirit means. And when we walk by the Spirit, we find some good things. Because there's fruit lining both sides of this road. The next passage, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, this is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Don't we want more of that? Don't we want more love? Love so strong that it is firm in its foundation and it is unmoved when life tries to move us. Don't we want more joy? Who doesn't want more peace? I need more patience. As we walk down Spirit Street, we find these things growing in increasing measure. And at the end of Spirit Street, and because he's omniscient, omnipresent, and God the Holy Spirit walks with us, we walk down Spirit Street toward God with God. Let's walk down Spirit Street. Let's walk by the Spirit. But how? How do we walk by the Spirit? Three steps. We're going to see the first two together. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. First two steps to walking by the Spirit are denying sin and choosing God. Very complex theological doctrine. Deny sin, choose God. Verse 24 talks about crucifying sin. And to crucify the flesh is to put our old self to death by submitting our decisions, and our desires to God. And every time we renounce self-righteousness, and every time we reject rebellion, we're crucifying the flesh. We're denying sin. Verse 25, choose God. We keep in step with him. We march with him. Like soldiers, like a marching band. Marching is rhythmic, and it's consistent. It's consistent in its pace, and its stride, and its direction, the direction of our lives, walking by the Spirit. So what are we doing to consistently move closer to God and become more like Him? Now we know the basics. We read the Bible and pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. That's another old song. Do we want to? It's okay. Maybe next week. Oh, man. (laughs) Pastor Roland's on hiatus now. But when we, especially when we have this series about the Holy Spirit, it's so important to read the Bible and pray. Reading the Bible is the primary way God speaks to us, and praying is the primary way we speak back to God. And we want to read the Bible, because if we don't, we get God's voice confused with our voice. We start getting a little bit weird. If I didn't read the Bible, for example... I could convince myself that God spoke to me and told me, you are Matthew, the disciple from the Bible, reincarnated and brought onto the earth for the end of days. Well, I heard the Lord. That must be God. Call me Matthew, the tax collector. That's obviously not God. 
Because the Bible says so. The Bible teaches us what God sounds like, so when God speaks, we recognize him. So we read the word, and we pray, and we come to life group, and we walk toward God together, because no one is taught to follow God alone. We could also choose media. That points us back to God. We can choose worship music. We can choose, there's usually worship now for your favorite style of music. There's country Christian music, which is regular Christian radio, but you know, that's, that's cool. There's Christian hip-hop. I maintain, as a former rapper, that Christian rappers now, on average, are better than secular rappers now. They're better. It's not even close. Follow the Father, the Son. Following God is fun. Choose media that points us to God. We can choose podcasts that remind us of Jesus. And we could even choose silence and surrender. Right now, we've got our spiritual and emotional freedom class, shameless plug. Uh, and in our devotional material, which is twice a day, it's like 15 minutes each, it starts and ends with two minutes of silence. Because we need to break away from this current of the world that conspires to lead us further and away from God. And in that silence, sometimes God will speak to us. And sometimes we just allow ourselves to feel so that we can acknowledge our feelings and then respond to them in a way that remains under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We choose God. And the cool thing about denying sin and choosing God is that there are left and right step. Deny sin, choose God. Deny sin, choose God. Deny sin, choose God. Walking by the Spirit. Now, it gets very slow and tedious if we're only just focused on the next steps. And that's why we do the final thing. Ezekiel can come up and we can start sounding spiritual. We keep walking. Keep walking. Because consistent effort produces clear results. Now, the uh, passage here actually continues in thought from Galatians 5 to Galatians 6. Um, we need to be careful when we read the Bible because we don't want a change in passage or a heading to make us think that the change in theme or change in thought has taken place. Paul's thoughts actually continue from the end of Galatians 5 into Galatians chapter 6. Now his analogy changes because he changes from walking to sowing and reaping. But the message is the same. Consistent effort produces clear results. So to conclude this thought of what it means to walk by the Spirit and reject sin and choose God, we find this in Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Consistent effort produces clear results. If we remain faithful to the process, then we will win the prize. More love, more joy, more peace, more of God's presence and proximity to him, more of his guidance, 
more sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit who tells us how to live and where to go. More of his power to be a witness. More of God. So when we talk about walking by the Spirit, it refers to the direction of our lives and the steps that we're taking to reach that direction. Are we rejecting sin, which includes our own self-righteousness and rebellion against God? How are we choosing Him? Are we still going? And are we still doing these things? Or have we stalled out? And do we need to start again? If we will walk by the Spirit, then as we walk, we'll get closer to God, find more of His fruit in our lives, and become more like Him. And that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you. God, we don't even deserve to be on Spirit Street. You didn't need us to, to give us the opportunity to walk with you, to walk by you, but you did. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And help us to walk by the Spirit. Help us all to deny sin and choose you in the littlest moments of our day. As we sang earlier, let us become more aware of your presence as we drive, as we work, as we live as people, regardless of what that season of life looks like, let us walk by the Spirit and become more aware of your presence. God, for those of us who have been faithful in walking by your Spirit, I pray that you would give us new wind and new life to continue in this direction and even quicken our our pace. And God, if there's anyone here who has stopped in their walk, maybe they tripped up and fell down, though a righteous man or woman falls seven times, they rise again. Thank you for the grace to get back up and keep walking. One more thing to pray for with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you do not have that personal walk with God or a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you want that. You want to walk with God. You want to be born again. You want to be a Christian and walk with Jesus. Then on the count of three, could you just raise your hand wherever you are? One, two, three. Praise God. Thank you. I see that. Anybody else? Why don't we do this? Why don't we all keep our heads bowed, but repeat this prayer out loud to verbally vocalize our faith in Jesus. The Bible says that when we believe and confess, then we are saved. Repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus to teach me how to walk. He lived a perfect life. He died for me. He rose again so I can live with you. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk with you. In your name, Jesus.